Behind the Knife, the surgery podcast. Relevant and engaging content designed to help you dominate the day. Welcome back to another episode of Behind a Knife. Today, we are talking about difficult gallbladders. From Behind a Knife, we've got Patrick Georgioff and me, Shanaz Hosen. We are also joined by Dr. Eric Nauer. Dr. Nauer is an assistant professor of surgery at Emory University and has recently published regarding the management of laparoscopic common bile duct stones in general surgery news. And more importantly, winner of the Junior Resident Teaching Award at Emory. Welcome, Dr. Nauer. We are so excited to have you join us today. Thank you guys very much for having me on the podcast. Laparoscopic cholecystectomies are one of the most common surgeries performed by general surgeons, and it was recently estimated that approximately 750,000 laparoscopic cholecystectomies are performed each year in the United States. So why are we talking about it on Behind a Knife? Well, Complications occur in 6-7% of patients, according to a recent study of the National Inpatient Sample, highlighting why a gallbladder is rarely just a gallbladder. That's right, Shanaz. A gallbladder is all too often not just another gallbladder. Colcystectomies can, in fact, be a pretty wretched operation. It's all pain, no glory, just fear of an iatrogenic injury. And bile duct injuries occur in the most recent review in 3 uh, out of 1,000 lap coles performed. And these injuries are a big deal for patients because they are, are often life-altering and the surgeries required to fix them can be uh, pretty extensive. And there's one statistic in particular that I found interesting, and that's that 97% of all common bile duct injuries are due to errors in visual perception or interpretation. That means that these injuries can, or at least some of them can, be prevented. And one of our favorite organizations, SAGES, has created a uh, what I think is a legitimately impressive bit of education called the SAGES Safe Cholecystectomy Program. It's a module-based program. The modules are free. They're very, very well done. And I highly recommend you take a look. A link to the uh, program will be in the show notes for you to review. Dr. Nauer, you've been involved with SAGES for some time now. Do you have any thoughts on this relatively new program? I, I think it's great. I recently completed all of the modules. And I suggest that anyone who performs laparoscopic cholecystectomies, take a look and go through the modules. One of the things that struck me too is that it's not just for the junior resident, right? This is something for senior residents, for practicing surgeons, because there's lots of really fantastic tips and tricks and images and videos that until this time have not been put together in one place. Absolutely. The the modern rate of bile duct injury in in some recent studies is as low as uh, 0.08%, but it's not zero. So anything that we can do to help get that number closer to zero is a is a is a good thing, a great idea. So within the Sages Safe Coley program, they suggest six strategies to help surgeons adopt a universal culture of safety when it comes to cholecystectomies. Number one, use a critical view of safety to identify the cystic duct and cystic artery during laparoscopic cholecystectomy. Two, understand the potential for an aberrant anatomy in every case. Three, Make liberal use of cholangiography or other methods to image the biliary tree intraoperatively. Four, consider an intraoperative momentary pause during laparoscopic cholecystectomies prior to clipping, cutting, or transecting any ductal structures. Five, recognize when dissection is approaching a zone of significant risk and halt the dissection before entering the zone. 
finish operation by a safe method other than cholecystectomy if conditions around the gallbladder are too dangerous. And last but not least, number six, get help from another surgeon when a dissection or conditions are too difficult. Yeah, these, this list is so practical and, and really so very true. So let's start with the critical view of safety. Uh, Eric, what is the critical view of safety and how do you talk to your trainees about it? The CVS or critical view of safety is very clearly defined. Really, there's three main aspects of it. The first is that the hepatocystic triangle is cleared of fat and fibrous tissue. And the hepatocystic triangle is defined as the triangle formed by the cystic duct, the common hepatic duct, and the inferred edge of the liver, where it interfaces with the inferred neck of the gallbladder. The common bile duct and common hepatic duct do not have to be exposed. The lower third of the gallbladder is uh, dissected free from the liver to expose the cystic plate. Cystic plate is also known as liver bed of the gallbladder and lies in the gallbladder fossa. And that there should be two and only two structures uh, seen entering the gallbladder. Right. So we're clearing the hepatocystic triangle, getting one third of the gallbladder exposed and off the liver and seeing two and only two structures entering the gallbladder. Now, a few additional notes on this too, is you want to see that view. You want that critical view of safety, both anteriorly and posteriorly. So when you're flipping your gallbladder back and forth with your left hand, you want to see that view very clearly on both sides. I think it's also really, really important to me, the, the biggest kind of take-home point or the, or the part that some of our trainees miss is why exposing the lower third of the gallbladder is so important, getting that gallbladder off the cystic plate. And that's because when you do that, when you clear the gallbladder off, you're able to see items like the cystic duct or cystic artery and make sure that those things don't actually fall back down, forming almost an inverted U-shape back into the portal structures where they could be tricking you, where that structure you thought was a cystic artery is actually the common bile duct being tented up and pulled back into the portal structures. Anytime you're in a difficult gallbladder, clearing that space, getting that one third cleared provides so much clarity in terms of what you're looking at. So that's extremely important. And another note about the critical view of safety is, is retraction. So, so much of a laparoscopic cholecystectomy is retraction and that left hand exposing what you need for your right hand to do the work. And retraction is really a three-dimensional concept. If you look at a 2D screen, it's often uh, right, left, up, down, et cetera. But we're really working in a three-dimensional space. And what folks often forget to do with their left hand is to pull the gallbladder out through that, that trocar, that port there, to provide additional retraction that, that better exposes all these things we need uh, to ensure we get that critical view of safety. And so it's a three-dimensional process where you're pulling up and out, not just left to right and up to down. Dr. Nauer, in a standard scenario, straightforward gallbladder, how do you progress through your coles? How do you teach your residents? Uh, I think what Patrick was just mentioning about thinking of it in three dimensions, and that's what I was told when I was in training by an attending, and he said, think of the abdomen like a sphere. And I really didn't understand until I was in practice for a few years how to properly place trocars. So when I'm working with the resident, first thing I, I want to make sure is that we know how to set the case up uh, where we put the trocars. And I think having them in proper position so you can retract your gallbladder and get the exposure that you need. When we look inside, we look for anatomy. And I think people forget to do that. Look and see, can you see the bile duct? Can you see the sulcus of Rivier? Can you see the line of safety? And identify those structures. And we want proper retraction of the gallbladder. And usually then we'll open up the medial and lateral peritoneal attachments, the lateral or medial first, it doesn't matter really, and start high on the gallbladder, you know, high on the cystic plate. 
a lot of times I say, let's get warmed up, you know, so, you know, get used to what the abdominal wall feels like, get used to what the tissues feel like and open those peritoneal attachments, you know, expose the gallbladder neck. I like to perform what I call the cystic artery mobilization of Nauer and take the cystic artery down off the gallbladder wall. And that provides good exposure of the gallbladder neck and then work towards your critical view of safety. We do routine interoperative cholangiograms. So we get the dissection set up and do our cholangiogram. Perfect. And let, we'll come back to the cholangiogram here in a minute because that's an important piece of the safe cholecystectomy program through SAGES. Uh, let's talk about the next component, which is understanding the potential for aberrant anatomy. And in my opinion, aberrant anatomy should be assumed in every case you do until proven otherwise. Uh, you can look at all the different statistics about where the cystic artery or cystic duct come from or what kind of aberrancies are possible. And, and it adds up to the point where you're at 25 to 50% of all cases can have anatomy that, that's considered aberrant. Uh, the most common would be the cystic duct being particularly short or particularly long, or inserting at all different weird angles on the common bile duct, especially uh, more laterally or posteriorly. The same can be said for the cystic artery. And if you guys haven't seen it, we'll include uh, a video uh, from, from Eric that posted on, I think it was Twitter, in which the dissection of Nauer, which is amazing, a little bit there, uh, describing that and how you bring that artery, that arterial dissection up onto the gallbladder to ensure that you've got the cystic artery, not some other structure that's diving back down towards the portal structures. And I think you mentioned too, Rubier sulcus. This is an amazing little bit of anatomy that is extremely consistent. I'm always amazed at how consistent it is because Rubier sulcus demarcates the anterior and posterior plane of the bile duct, meaning essentially that that sulcus, which is on the underside of the right side of the liver, uh, that you should always be working above it or anterior to it. And that can keep you safe and away from the high value structures that you want to be avoiding. And again, just amazingly consistent too. So I think we'll move on to number three was the use of imaging. And, and Dr. Nauer, you had mentioned too about using cholangiography routinely. So I'm curious to hear a little bit more about that. So uh, we, you know, there's really two camps, uh, people who do cholangiograms selectively versus doing them uh, routinely, which is what we do. And I, I've always done that in practice. And, and now that I'm in a teaching institution, I think it's even more important to teach our trainees how to do interoperative cholangiograms. You know, if you do them routinely, then you're proficient at doing them. It makes you more efficient. Your staff knows how to set the OR table up. Your x-ray tech knows how to run the floral machine for you. How long was yeah. on to your case? It could be just a couple minutes. You know, yeah. it's uh, and, and interpretation of the imaging. So I think that's where people get in trouble is if they're not used to doing their cholangiogram, it becomes very frustrating because things are not set up well. They have difficulty getting a catheter into the cystic duct, and then they may not know how to properly interpret the interoperative cholangiogram images. So what is a complete cholangiogram? So, you know, what we like to see is, uh, say, myoclonode, we want to see good opacification of the entire biliary tree. And some people say, make sure you see the right posterior segmental duct. You want to see that there's no filling defects, a normal contrast runoff into the duodenum. And some people may say you want to see a nice taper of the distal common bile duct. So those are the things that we're looking at. And, you know, there can be tip-offs when you inject contrast. If the whole biliary system is lighting up and you're not really seeing much contrast, uh, maybe there's a small stone. So magnified views, things like that, that can help with image interpretation. What about ultrasound? There's some data out there that shows it's actually helpful interoperatively as well. I think ultrasound is a very good tool to use 
it's just not widely used. And I was fortunate enough to meet Dr. Dezeal in Denver, and, and he recently published his laparoscopic ultrasound experience on 785 consecutive patients. And what they found was that laparoscopic ultrasound can facilitate safe dissection when the anatomy is not clear. And it's complementary to intraprochlangiogram for detection of common ball duct stones. There's also no radiation involved. So I think that it's a, it's a very good tool. I, I, I think more people should use it, including myself. And then we talked a little bit before we, we got the cameras rolling here for uh, ICG and its use. How, how do you use ICG? That's certainly one of the um, imaging methods among cholangiography and, and ultrasound that can be used to uh, define anatomy more easily, especially in a difficult case. I think ICG is very interesting. I don't do a lot of robotic cholecystectomies, but I do them sometimes. And then we use ICG and it can give a good roadmap of the biliary system. There's no radiation involved. It's not expensive. It can be repeated just by stepping on a pedal. So I think that there's a lot of uh, benefits from it. It's It doesn't replace a traditional intraoperative clentrium. I don't think ICG is good for detection of common ball duct stones, but I think there's good utility for identification of anatomy. Right. And as part of this discussion, we're talking about using cholangiography and, and these other methods to better understand the anatomy to avoid any types of errors. Uh, but when you do see a stone, are you routinely performing transcystic common bile duct explorations? Yes. And I've done that since I've been in practice. And, uh, you know, that's that's probably deserving of a whole separate podcast, on, you know, single stage versus uh, two stage management of common bile duct stones. Yeah. Yeah. I think it would. it's a fantastic topic. I think a very interesting one, very contemporary as well. Can you briefly d describe what transistic convolute exploration is and how you do it? Uh, I do it using equipment that is available in our OR. I don't have any specialized equipment besides a cart for my equipment. We use a flexible ureteroscope, which we borrow from the urologist. I use uh, wires and baskets that I find in our cystoscopy suite. Usually I need a, an extra trocar or introducer to place the, the scope, the scope down. In most patients, you can get the scope down through the cystic duct. It may require some dilation of the cystic duct. You know, once we get the scope down, we run irrigation to distend up the cystic duct. If we see stones, uh, usually we can engage them in a basket. And I use a variety of baskets. Some stones can be crushed or pushed through the duodenum. And even before we get to that, if you see a small stone, there's just some basic things that you can do. You can give glucagon. You can try to flush it out. You can advance what I use as a five-inch rural catheter for the intraoperative you can advance that catheter down and try to flush a stone through. So it doesn't have to necessarily be a coelidocoscope or ureteroscope. You can try some other maneuvers to clear a duct. Yeah, almost a step-up approach. Now, how, how successful would you say you are in clearing um, stones? What percent do you get cleared with a transistic approach? Or I tell my patients that in almost every case, I can clear them out. I've had a couple lately that I couldn't. And what I was missing is a laser, which I, I used to have in my previous job. So, you know, they call it there was a study called LABEL, laser-assisted biliary endoscopic lithotomy, I think, and using a laser or a lithotripsy device to break up larger stones that can't be cleared through the cystic duct. So I, there's some new technology now that's really helpful and can allow clearing of stones via a transcystic approach. Yeah, again, a very exciting topic. I think we'll have to do Shanaz another episode on this in and of itself because uh, it is very exciting and there's some new technology out there that can be used and you, you save a whole, a whole nother multiple days in the hospital, another procedure, another anesthesia. If you do it correctly, it's, it's quite safe as well.
Next, after cholangiogram, the Sages Safe Coley program talks about an intraoperative momentary pause prior to clipping, cutting, or transecting any ductal structures. So the intraoperative momentary pause should consist of a stopping point in the operation to confirm that the CVS has been achieved utilizing the doublet view. So that's when you're checking it from the anterior and the posterior. It's a great idea. It takes a few seconds and it honestly will also enhance the teaching for any of the junior residents in the case to confirm and kind of cement in your mind that this is the CVS. I, I think that's a great idea. Um, you know, you have to look, is your cystic duct too large for a standard clip? Are you working too close to the duodenum? And, and can that structure that you think is a cystic duct be traced down to the duodenum? You know, do you see bile leakage? So a pause is great to reassess before going ahead with clipping. Because a lot of operative notes for cases in which there was a bile duct injury, they describe that they obtained a critical view of safety. So there's mistaken identification of anatomy. So that pause is a, is a good idea. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Take a minute, pull that camera back into the trucker. Take a look at that whole right upper quadrant. Make sure everything makes sense with where you're at before clipping anything. One of my attendings says that if you feel like you need to staple across the duct, that's probably not the right duct. Do you guys agree with that sentiment? Yes, then? I do. I, I, I will never staple the, the yeah. duct. So. Yeah. Call my HPV person if I have to take a stapler out. I think that's a good good practice for sure. All right, moving on to number five, that's recognizing when the dissection is approaching a zone of significant risk and halting the dissection before entering that zone uh, and potentially finishing the operation with a safer method. And specifically what we're talking about here is considering a subtotal cholecystectomies or even a cholecystostomy to placement. You could also consider converting from a laparoscopic to an open a procedure based on your own personal judgment, the specific case, your skills, uh, et cetera. But going back to the, the subtotal cholecystectomy. So a subtotal cholecystectomy refers to when the gallbladder is, is opened above the neck and all stones, bile, et cetera, are removed. And the neck of the gallbladder is left in situ to protect that those critical structures that you're having trouble delineating. And this typically means the anterior wall then is, is removed, oftentimes leaving the posterior wall in the fossa or uh, sometimes even removing the posterior wall. But again, a subtotal cholecystectomy means that neck is left in place. And, and there are two, two different types described. One is a fenestrating cholecystectomy. This is when the uh, neck of the gallbladder is left open and the cystic duct is closed from essentially within uh, the gallbladder lumen, often using a purse string suture or, or, or any type of suture technique. Sometimes this actually isn't even necessary as a cystic duct may be occluded. But the other type is a subtotal reconstituting cholecystectomy. A subtotal reconstituting cholecystectomy refers to closure of the neck of the gallbladder uh, by sutures or staples. So meaning you take out the vast majority of the gallbladder you know, body itself and you leave a, a new little tiny nubbin left behind. And in general, closure of the gallbladder remnant with the reconstituting technique can lead to higher risk of stone formation and recurrent symptoms, including cholecystitis, whereas the fenestrating technique has a higher likelihood of bile leak or biliary fistula. And in general, at least in my opinion, fenestrating technique is preferred if possible, if safe. And to follow up on that, we would also, if you're thinking about doing any of these types of subtotal approaches, to leave a drain, always, at least one drain. Uh, Eric, what are your thoughts on on subtotals? Because this is a whole nother uh, can of worms. Just on your last comment uh, about leaving a drain, I've never regretted leaving a drain on a gallbladder. I think there's a little downside to that. 
I think that the fenestrated type is probably better. Yes, you can have short-term bile leaks. The problem is that there, some patients get fenestrated subtotal cholecystectomy, and then the gallbladder can reconstitute itself. And then patients can develop symptoms in their remnant gallbladders. And the subtotal cholecystectomies are becoming more popular. So we're starting to see patients show up with symptomatic remnant gallbladders, and those surgeries are not fun. It's difficult. I think that surgeons need to make the effort during the index operation to remove the entire gallbladder, you know, at least try. Uh, of course, you know, the purpose of the subtotal is to reduce the risk of bile duct injury. So, you know, make an effort, but also don't injure the bile duct. You know, there's some debate now, is an open total cholecystectomy better than a laparoscopic subtotal? Right. And that may be the case. However, in, in a lot of patients, there was a study from the Netherlands, a retrospective review, where they found that a lot of the bile duct injuries actually occurred after they converted to an open procedure. So I think that the jury is still out. The take-home message is have all these tools in your toolbox and don't injure the bile duct. Yeah, we'll provide a link to one of the uh, one of my favorite papers describing this fenestrating technique versus the reconstituting technique so that uh, folks can lay their eyes on on those pictures and and have a good understanding of what we're what we're talking about. Wrapping up this discussion of the stages six steps. The last one is to ask for help from another surgeon when the dissection or conditions are too difficult. When it is practical, the advice of a second surgeon is often very helpful under conditions in which the dissection is stalled, the anatomy is unclear, or under other conditions deemed difficult by the surgeon. Since we had this great discussion, why don't we talk about some difficult scenarios and how we would approach them? All right. For the first one, we're in a case. It's a chronic coli case. There's adhesions everywhere, so you've been dissecting a little bit. And all of a sudden, you run into a lot of bleeding. It's pulsatile. It hits the camera. You have to take the camera out. How do you proceed next? I tell the story when I was a PGY3 resident and that happened and blood got on the camera and uh, my attending says, what are you going to do? I said, clean the scope. He's like, yeah, go ahead and do it. So yeah, clean your, clean your scope and look inside and try to identify what the bleeding site is. With bleeding, you know, there's different, different levels of bleeding. And oftentimes what I say is if there's a small bleeder, it's a sentinel bleed. So if you're bovying and you get a small bleeder, the answer is not more cautery. The answer is to stop and see if you can see what's bleeding. And sometimes it's just a small bleeding. That's what I call nuisance bleeding that you can ignore and don't get distracted. Other times there's bleeding that you need to control. So get your suction out, try to identify the site of the bleeding. And sometimes you get one shot at it with a clip, but don't clip blindly because I think those are the x-rays that we all see that have lots of clips scattered around with the resulting bile duct injury. If you have a lot of bleeding, put a rate tech in, hold pressure, call for help. Yeah, that's exactly right. I like that. The ray tech technique is always great. Open that suction irrigator. Uh, one of the other things that can be useful is switching your hands, perhaps getting in Maryland, even in your left hand, using your retraction, a port on the far right side to move the gallbladder to a better location so you can really see what you're doing. And perhaps get that Maryland in with your left hand to find that vessel, maybe come across it to get a little bit of control so that you can use your right hand suction to clip to bovi again very, very carefully uh, so that you're not blindly diving into these areas, but have a much more controlled dissection uh, from there. 
How do you differentiate between the sentinel bleed and the nuisance bleed that you can ignore? Is the nuisance one more of just like a slight ooze? Is that how you distinguish it? It can be a small, you know, you get branches off of the cystic artery that can go to the gallbladder neck. You can have small vessels to close node, or even it could be a small bit of bleeding from the cystic artery high up on the gallbladder. So those are nothing that you should really panic about. You know, if you're staying up in a safe area, you shouldn't get into any major vessel unless you have aberrant uh, arterial anatomy. So, you know, if the, if the right of quadrant is filling up with blood, then that that's a problem. But a lot of times, if it's a small bleeder, you know, if it's on the it's on the medial side, you can hold the gallbladder in a medial direction and kind of compress it and work on the lateral side a little bit. And and sometimes it's just a small small bleeder will just stop on its own, so you can continue to progress. Great. All right. Our next difficult case, we have a patient who's morbidly obese, BMI, we'll say maybe 40. Uh, how do you approach it? How do you set yourself up for success? Morbidly obese patients, those are ones, you know, we say patients BMI 40, even 50 or more. And, and those patients, I find there's at least surgeon benefit to using the robot. It takes a lot of the stress off of, you know, uh, working through a very thick abdominal wall. But if I just do a regular laparoscopic cholecystectomy in, in patients with a thick abdominal wall, I would typically opt to view optical entry at Palmer's point. And that's not a working trocar, that's just an access trocar. Once I do that, then I can place my four robotic trocars and I'll usually place a camera port through the right rectus muscle and that'll be my extraction site. And I may need to cut down on that and enlarge that if there's a lot of large stones to get the gallbladder out. Sometimes the livers are big and hard to retract. There can be a lot of fat around the duodenum. So you might need an extra trocar just for retraction purposes. I do want to add one thing. I think that as well, you can be tricked. Um, you know, a lot of times we put our cam report at the uh, umbilicus and, and, and folks who are especially large or even have longer abdomens that it may make sense also to put your camera port a bit farther towards the head, closer to the xiphoid than you would normally uh, when you use the umbilicus. Some folks recommend measuring 15 centimeters down from the uh, xiphoid process as a, a good uh, starting point. I totally agree, Patrick. It's that angle, even with a 30 degree scope, if your scope is too low, you don't have the proper angle, especially if there's you know, a lot of fat around the colon, it may be hard to see uh, to get good exposure. You know, in the past, I used to have a 45 degree scope just in case I needed to see a little bit better if my scope was too low. And it also patient positioning is obviously important for all lap coles uh, to be able to get them in the appropriate position, head up, left side down. Patient position is even more important in, uh, in patients who are morbidly obese, as you may need to go to farther extremes to better expose the area you're working on. That also means that you have to make double, triple, quadruple sure that, that patient's appropriately secured to the bed as you're manipulating your working space. Yeah, for morbidly obese patients, I use a footboard so we can get them in, you know, more reverse trinomberg if needed. Great. So that success for surgery goes starts even before you put in any instruments or even start incision. All right. So moving on to the next scenario. You are already in the case, you've been dissecting, but you run into large immobile stones in the neck of the gallbladder. How do you work around that? This can make uh, your case difficult. You might try to push the stone up into the gallbladder, but if it won't budge, the problem is you can't grasp those stones or the gallbladder well 
to retract it. So sometimes what I need to do is actually cut the gallbladder open and pull the stones out. And they can be really stuck in there, uh, but you can get a grasper and, and, and retrieve those stones. And then you're able to better retract your gallbladder and proceed with your case. So can make a bit of a mess, but try to collect all the stones and just retrieve them at the end. Yeah. And I like putting in a second bag to catch your stones first, put that off to the side and then do your, do the rest of your dissection and get a second bag in and remove as you would normally. So then next one, you're in a case patient has been presenting with symptoms over, over a year, you're suspecting of chronic cholecystitis. And when you enter the abdomen, you see a lot of dense inflammation and adhesions around the gallbladder neck. How do you start that case and how do you approach it safely? So I can start with that one. I, I think you go exactly through the six steps we just went through uh, for that. And that's a, this is the perfect example of why that uh, SAGES, uh, Safe Pulsosectomy Program, makes sense. And that's all about uh, ensuring that you're getting that critical view of safety as best you can. If you can't, that you think about using different imaging techniques like geography, I think, would be the, the foremost to better understand where you're at. If it's just not going to happen, if it's a terribly inflamed uh, cystic neck and duct, or there's a lot of gangrenous changes, then you consider your subtotal. I, I agree. You know, if you see that, be very careful. I like to do those cases a lot of times using just the suction irrigator. I'm usually a fan of using this suction and pushing up towards the gallbladder. So mm-hmm. staying in a known area versus taking suction and pushing down towards your porta hepatis. And sometimes you can, those will come apart and you can uh, dissect out your anatomy and uh, sometimes they won't. So that's when you have to consider your subtotal or bail that procedure. Yeah. And if you put that camera in initially for a case that you you think is going to be a bad uh, case of cholecystitis, maybe even chronic cholecystitis, you see that big tense gallbladder, you want to drain it right away uh, with a laparoscopic needle to allow you uh, better uh, control of the gallbladder and mobility. And also, like you mentioned, uh, Eric, is I will call for that suction irrigator right away because I do believe that is probably the most effective tool for dissecting a particularly bad bad gallbladder. Those are great tips to include and add another dimension to the sixth step. All right, two scenarios. And of course, we saved the hardest for last. The next one is a patient that you are concerned has Maritzi syndrome. Just as a refresher. Mercy syndrome is when there is compression of the common hepatic duct by stone in the gallbladder to cystic duct, and it can either be extrinsic or result in fistulization between the common hepatic duct and wherever that stone may be. How do we approach this in the OR and manage this, um, uh, this diagnosis? These can be very difficult cases. I did have one maybe about a year ago, and I was able to use my Coleidogoscope to clear the stone out and then complete the operation. They had previously done an ERCP on the patient. This stone was stuck in the cystic duct and there was nothing they could do with the ERCP. And I haven't done a lot of subtotals, but one of the ones I did was where the gallbladder was just fused onto the common duct. So I left what I call the, like a little saucer of gallbladder on the common duct and, and did a subtotal. So if it's a Mercy syndrome, that's going to be difficult. Yeah, especially with this true fistulization as opposed to just extrinsic compression. I think the the operative word for this is it would be less is more uh, for sure in terms of trying to avoid any worsening damage. And a subtotal cholecystectomies in this case uh, can make a lot of sense. I've only had two of these cases and both of them were managed with laparoscopic subtotal cholecystectomies. 
without getting too deep or close to that fistula track uh, and, and both patients did quite well. Also calling your HPB colleagues for this early would be uh, advised. And last but not least, this probably is a little bit more common than seeing Maritzi syndrome. You have a patient that has pretty bad cirrhosis. What are you thinking about as you're getting ready for this case and intraoperatively as you're moving about in that area? I think it's important to recognize for the cirrhotic patients is that are obviously at much higher risk of bleeding uh, for a number of different reasons from the actual liver parenchyma, uh, portal hypertension, coagulopathy, et cetera, and that these patients are also at real risk of developing frank liver failure, acute and chronic liver failure uh, following or, or as a result of these cases. And so they have to be chosen very, very carefully when it comes to identifying which patients are the appropriate surgical candidates and which aren't. And that, again, probably is a whole nother episode, uh, but taking your, your initial steps to look at uh, their MELD scores, uh, really understanding their history, taking a good look at even potentially a CT scan to look for portal hypertension, large uh, vessels in the area. Um, and during the case to consider uh, one important thing is maybe even leaving that back wall of the gallbladder on uh, by choice um, to uh, avoid any additional bleeding from that truly cirrhotic uh, parenchyma. Uh, Eric, what are your thoughts on on the cirrhotic patient? I agree. If you're expecting a difficult gallbladder, like you said, cascans are, are great to have pre-op. You know, with the cirrhotics, I think of that two uh, things that are going to make the case difficult. One, as mentioned, the collaterals. So I'm really worried about bleeding because you get into bleeding on one of these and it could be fatal. The other thing is that these livers are not pliable in the cirrhotics. So it can be difficult to impossible to retract the gallbladder. So, you know, we had one not long ago, a cirrhotic, a very bad liver, uh, gangrenous, gangrenous gallbladder and difficult to lift the gallbladder up. And uh, we did a subtotal. And uh, I think in that case, we were able to get the, uh, the back wall out. Um, but, you know, that's certainly an option. Leave the back wall so you don't get bleeding from the liver and just cauterize the back wall. All right. Those are all the cases I had. Um, thank you again so much, Dr. Nauer, for joining us today. This was a great discussion. On yeah, fantastic. And you're right. We probably will have to ask you back for a few more of these other topics that we were talking about very briefly on the episode. Well, thank you guys so much. I really enjoyed talking with you today. Again, thanks for being here. All right. And with that, uh, dominate today. Be sure to check out our website at www.behindthenife.org for more great content. You can also follow us on Twitter at Behind the Knife and Instagram at Behind the Knife Podcast. If you like what you hear, please take a minute to leave us a review. Content produced by Behind the Knife is intended for health professionals and is for educational purposes only. We do not diagnose, treat, or offer patient-specific advice. Thank you for listening. Until next time, dominate the day.